3: BlueNile.com Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile.
0: We recently received an email from a listener who sadly lost her sister to cancer a few weeks ago. Her last photograph with her sister was at a Guilty Feminist tour show in Cambridge last year. This episode is dedicated to Busy Braun, all our love to Busy's family and friends. And we've included one of Busy's favourite songs by Grace Petrie, which meant a lot to her personally at the end of the show.
4: We would like to acknowledge the traditional owners on whose unceded land we are meeting on today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their continued fight for sovereignty and self-determination and acknowledge that as settlers, we have and continue to benefit from the theft of their land, culture and lives. We acknowledge that treaty talks in Victoria have not begun and pay our respects to Elders past, and any in the room here today.
0: I'm a feminist, but not only can I recognize guilty feminist listeners in the street near the theater in Melbourne here tonight, I could tell which ones were from the guilty tribe and which ones were from the feminist tribe, just by looking at them. I mean, I think we're all guilty feminists, that's the point. We're all like 70, 20, 70, I don't know what the other 10 is. 80, 20, 70, 30, 50, 50. But I just think some people are weighted more one way or the other. I'm a feminist, but if I go missing,
5: I want them to use the footage of me doing the cha-cha on the news to find me.
0: <laughs> that's right. Uh, For our global listeners, Celia Picola is currently in Dancing with the Stars.
5: I mean, it's funnier if they don't know that. Just what a random thing for me to say.
0: (laughs) I'm a feminist, but this morning, instead of writing an article for a newspaper about the next decade of feminism, I missed the deadline because I was watching a montage of Don Draper kissing women on YouTube. (laughs) It's a good montage if you haven't seen it. And then spending another hour checking out Ruby Rose's Instagram account. Oh. Totally worth it being late. I got it in eventually. But if you haven't watched the YouTube of Don Draper kissing women, it's just him kissing women. It's not as advertised. Why are you making that face? I don't want to watch him kissing women. Well, don't then. No one's supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> what do know. you want to watch?
5: I don't... I wonder... There's, there's a video of bunnies in cups. <laughs> bunnies in cups? Yeah, all bunnies in cups, and it's half like, get those bunnies out of the cups. <laughs> it's a bunch of bunnies in cups. I don't know why they're in the cups, but they're just, it's just a bunch of bunnies in cups, and I listen, love it. Listen, We'll have have different interests. Whatever distracts you from feminism is fine. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm a feminist, but when dancing, I love that the man gets to lead. I love it. It seems harder. I'd rather go to the kitchen and make him a sandwich then me have to lead. Wow. I know, it's the truth. Please unpack that
0: a bit more. Well, because, I fo- because the man has to lead. I follow, he, you know,
1: he oh, steps so that way.
0: T- you, know, when well, they, look, you know If you're employing him, if you're outsourcing leading to him, then the power dynamic is different. No, but that's his job. In ballroom dancing, yeah,
5: the man yeah.
0: leads, but whoever is
5: doing that part.
0: I feel to think of it as a power act... You think to yourself, I'm outsourcing this. I don't have to lead because I'm making him do it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes, I do. That's what I do.
5: See, he dances and I just am along for the ride. Yeah. You know like when you're a kid and you stand on their feet and you just go around. It's fun. (laughs) Rather than thinking that he's yeah. got power and I don't. Yeah, rather
0: than thinking, oh, he's leading and I have to follow like a little angel. No, I'm like, yeah, you, yeah. you walk there for me. Is that what you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Try <laughs> Exactly. It's like an Uber driver. I don't want to know where it is. Just get me there. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but today I read a story in a newspaper here in Australia about a man suing Suzanne the Dress Shop because... <laughs> this is not funny so don't laugh. he's got PTSD sorry. sorry it's not it's not okay for me to laugh at this I'm really sorry he's got PTSD because he, he, was, he, he was at his, his work away day it was like a corporate you know when you get taken off on those if anyone has that kind of job where you work for head office or whatever you get taken away on a corporate away day and a Kylie Minogue impersonator pulled him up onto the stage and he says he's got PTSD because I don't know if the Kylie Minogue personator was a man or a woman, or a non-binary person, didn't say, but uh, that person made him do things. You know, when someone gets you up for audience participation and he was so affected by it, he uh, now can't leave the house because he keeps having flashbacks to the Kylie Minogue audience participation. <laughs> it's not funny because it was not consensual. He is suing for, like, $800,000, and I did think there are people in war zones. But there are, though. I did think $800,000 is a lot of money for audience participation. But anyway, I, do, I try to think of it as a feminist. Like, it's good that we're getting to a point in society where it's not okay for someone to be coerced to do anything. So I was like, yes, as a feminist, I back somebody saying, I didn't consent to that. I don't know if I back them to $800,000, but... Mostly I thought, hashtag consent, but also, I did think as I read it, this is the most Australian story I've ever heard.
5: I'm a feminist, but turns out, I love to twirl. Love a twirl, love a twirl, love a twirl. This is a direct quote, this is a thing I never thought I'd say, look how sparkly my dress is. (laughs) And yes, I would
0: like another spray (laughs) tan. Live from the Thornbury Theatre in
6: Melbourne, the Spontaneity
0: Shop presents The Guilty Feminist. We made everybody's right. Yes, co the Theodore and very special guests, Jan Fran and Fatima Mowers, talking about the media! This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White, this is Celia Piccola, and we're talking about the media! So we have two serious and substantial guests who are also funny, but first of all, all we want to talk about is Dancing with the Stars. Please, welcome to the stage, and welcome to the microphone, the incredible Celia Piccola.
5: love to be here. Uh, a couple of things just to tell you straight off the bat. So I've been a comedian for, I don't know, 12 years, so my life is pretty unusual. However, on Sunday, I did a cha-cha on live television in front of Olivia Newton-John. Now, that is, that's true. That's just a real, that's a fact, and I don't know what to do. With that, that's my life. Um, I am. I am am on a television show called Dancing with the Stars, which is called Strictly Come Dancing in the UK. And uh, I am a prime candidate to be on Dancing with the Stars because no one knows who the fuck I am. Um, It's so funny. Every year when this show comes out, all of these shows, everyone's like, oh, you call them fucking stars? are they the best celebrities they could get? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they're the best celebrities they could get. Hugh Jackman is busy, okay? You think the people at Channel 10 are like, oh, shit, we should have got better celebrities. No, these are the best ones who are mad enough to agree to this shit. And I'm into it. I wish they were shitter. I love being shit. I want to see the shittest people in the world try and do something hard. Are you kidding me? That's why I'm doing it. Let's do it. I also want to see shit people at the Olympics. Let's get shit people at the Olympics just at the end wouldn't it be great just at the end of the olympics just right at the end just let some of us out there just let us out (laughs) wouldn't it be refreshing after watching these all these incredible athletes just one of us goes out there and just knocks a bunch of hurdles over and gets a stitch yes (laughs) so (laughs) so i'm doing dance with the stars so if you don't know what it is they pair me Just me, hello, I'm a comedian, not a dancer, and they pair me with a professional dancer, and he has to teach me how to dance. Let me tell you about my dance partner, Jared. Okay, his name is Jared with a Y, as in, (laughs) as in, why you spell your name so weird, Jared? Jared does not find me funny. (laughs) And I find that very funny.
6: <laughs> oh my God.
5: And if you're trying to picture him, oh my God, he's just like, I think they've come up with a perfect description of it, right? Imagine Baby Cupid. You know, cartoon Baby Cupid? Imagine if Baby Cupid grew up in a gym. Okay, so <laughs> and Jared hates me, which is fair because none of the dancers want the comedian, you know? Like, really, they say the show's about the star's journey. It's about the dancers. The dancers are the one who have to do the hardest shit. It's like they're the chef and wear the mystery box ingredients. <laughs> like, I am his problem. They're like, Jared, you get a potato and a half a duck. Turn that into a dancer. <laughs> oh, the only thing in my life is dance. So I don't know how tonight's going to go, because that's all I, my whole life is dance. Or as I now call it, dance. <laughs> so I'm just going to also vote for me. Right. Um, uh, guys, I don't have the numbers. Like, I've got a dedicated fan base, but, you know, there's reality... Anyway. (laughs) Right, here are some of the common things that Jared says to me in training. I used to call it rehearsal, but that sounds too pleasant for what it is. Right. (laughs) Be better. (laughs) You can do it like that, or you can do it right. (laughs) No, again, not like that, never like that. (laughs) Yep, but, shush. (laughs) No, in this room your feelings mean nothing. (laughs) Not like this, then he does an impression of me, generally unflattering. Um, Remember, I know that you've made a mistake before you do. Cool. Oh, oh, this is amazing. I have sympathy for how difficult what I'm asking you to do is, but I don't have the time to care. (laughs) It doesn't... We don't have time. This is what's weird. We had a fight the other day, and we have no time to go, we'll take a break, so we just had to dance angry. (laughs) All right, last one. This is my favourite one, because this was beautiful. This was a, da- a step that I learned right at the start and then I'd lost. I couldn't get it. I was like, I'm getting so frustrated because I'm like, I'm going backwards. Jared, I'm going backwards. I had this. I don't know what's happened. And he goes, listen to me. This move, this thing that you think that you had and you would nailed and, and now you've lost it, you never had it. <laughs> you've never done it once. Um, uh, thank you very much. That's you
0: very much. See you in Oh, Celia. We are just so thrilled you've taken time out to dish the dirt on Dancing with the Stars. It oh it's it's all
5: I want to talk about. Just call me anytime, any questions, I've got all the answers. Well, we they thought... glue your underpants to your butt. Did you know that? No. There's butt glue, so you don't get a wedgie. That's right. What?
6: Yeah! There's a lady
5: who goes, who comes up when you stand there. What with a glue and, gun? Not with a glue gun, it's a staple gun. Anna. Oh, no. It's oh like a, my I think God! It, I've never actually watched her do it, but it feels just like a YooHoo stick, like a, just a glue stick. So there you go. That's just that's. I'm just full of tidbits but like that. But what if you
0: need to go to the loo quickly before?
5: Oh no, there is no going to the loo. <laughs> just, just before. No, there's no nervous wear. You just have to hold it. I know. Yeah. It's utterly terrifying. I spend so much of my time googling sweatproof underwear. I'm yet to find the best. Wow. <laughs> I know. I'm amazed you're allowed to wear. Your well, you own don't want one. to have a damp gusset on live television. <laughs> Am I wrong?
0: Oh. There are no words. No, no. I mean, I'm, if I don't edit out the words damp gusset, which have now been said twice, I will have people writing and saying they were triggered by those words. I'm oh, so sorry. sorry. Um, and Celia's offered to do a little Q&A with the audience, so if anyone's got questions about Dancing with the Stars... Now, we are obviously going to do a feminist take on this. This is not just Dancing with the Stars Q&A with Celia Picola. <laughs>
5: Well, because, well, this is the thing, and anyone who knows me, so the main reason I'm doing it is because I think it's funny. Like, I haven't stopped laughing since they asked me to do it. I think it's hilarious, me doing Dancing with the Stars. I find that very funny. And then I got there and I got a bit of a shock because um, my whole career, my whole mm. life, has been spent um, trying to get people to not look at my body. Like, I'm all about words and thoughts and don't pay attention to these genes, you know. Mm. And then I've got to this thing where suddenly it's all about people looking at your body and using your your body and stuff. So it is really an interesting topic, I think, in terms of feminist stuff. Oh, it's so interesting. The empowerment of it and how hard it's been trying to lean into it and take up space. Like, it's really the embarrassment of, you know, when we first start doing it, it's like, it's been really challenging. But, yeah, it's...
0: I am so interested in this because my New Year's resolution for 2020 was to live more in my body and less in my head. So the first two months of this year I've been on tour, so I've been trying to go to yoga as much as possible. Grace Pitcher said to me yesterday, uh, so do you go to yoga every day? And I said, I try to. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, but I want to get into, like, having a home practice so that I do move my body every single day. And I say this absolutely, of course, in an understanding that I live in an ableist world. I think even if you pay attention to your breathing once a day, just sitting there checking in with your body and breathing is amazing. And then in the ways in which you can or want to move, yeah, it is such a gift to live in your body more. Yeah, I think being
5: inside your body whatever that means to you is always good but it's it's really challenging like I've spent a long time having a difficult time with my body even though I'm aware of how lucky I am like I'm size 12 I'm very lucky to have all of my limbs for example Mm -hmm. which I know in particular because one day a little old lady came up to me and went enjoy your limbs while you've still got them and then walked off which was really confusing because she had all of her limbs so I was like is this a threat? Like, I know... I I know you're supposed to love your body. I know, I know yes. this. I know, but for me, and I genuinely hope everyone listening to this, everyone in the room loves their own body. I'm so jealous when there's people who just love it. But usually, it used to be, when people would say that to me, I'd be like, you know what? Fuck off. It's my body and I'll hate it if I want. You don't know it like I know it. We don't get along, you know? But. <laughs> But working through this, I really have felt more what it's capable of. And mm. I've never thought of food as fuel before. Who the mm. fuck am I? Mm. Um, but you know, you know, and feeling that I'm getting stronger and slowly, it's like I've just realised that it's there. I've spent my, so much time in my head and words and that kind of stuff. and Except for oh my God. hands, because I'm Italian. This has always been a thing. Yes. Um, I'm really enjoying it, and I'd encourage anyone to... To give it a shot. And my, Jared, so he's lovely. He's very serious. But he's amazing. So he teaches all the time um, women often for them to become comfortable in their bodies and to feel empowered and to feel good about themselves. And also children Mm. learning about, you know, spatial and, you know, just being comfortable in in their own personal space and that kind of stuff. And And world, That kind of dancing is
0: about boundaries as well, isn't it? This is my dance space, that is your dance space. Yeah. You don't go into my dance space, I don't go into your dance space. <laughs> yes. I learnt that from Patrick Swayze. Yes!
3: And it, it's,
5: it's also been scary putting it, putting it out into the public domain. Like, it, So I went on TV on Sunday, and I'm wearing a little skirt. And do you know how funny? So many people in the world are surprised that I have legs. No one could believe it. Everyone sending me a message going, Celia, you've got legs. I'm like, yeah, mate, what do you think I've been standing on this whole time? No. Well, do
0: you know what though? Because you do in comedy often dress in jeans, you dress down your do. right. You don't draw attention to your body. Yeah. When I saw Celia's legs on she had, <laughs> uh, on this show, on um I keep wanting to call it strictly, because that's what we call Dancing it. Dancers dance. Stars. I DM'd her, oh my god, those legs, and then just quickly went. I'm a feminist, but, oh, my God, those legs. <laughs> <laughs> so I went, that's not... Okay. Can I just DM a friend, oh, my yeah. God, those legs? But I did, because, <laughs> oh, my God, those legs. And I've never seen your legs, I've realised. No, no
5: one would have. But it's, and I'm not doing it for that.
0: No, but thank I, didn't you. Imply, um, I didn't
5: imply for a second that you were. But, yeah, it is... Uh, Good so far. It's exciting. And also, can I make... Like, I'm doing it because it's fun and also... But everyone, if you don't know, you choose a charity for your dancing and if you win, your charity gets $50,000. And um, the charity I've chosen is called Safe Steps. I don't know if you know about it. Right. Oh, my God. They're totally the best. So they're a a crisis response service for women and children experiencing family and domestic violence. um, A 24-hour confidential hotline and they're just incredible. And I sort of... I just think what they do is... Amazing and such a huge problem in this country that's happening all the time, and we don't even know. It's really upsetting. But um, also, I like the combination of dancing is such this expression of empowerment and becoming confident and freedom and all of that, and to to try and use that to something to help women who are feeling afraid Mm. and worthless and trapped and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm really into it for a a bunch of reasons.
0: Oh, CD, that's wonderful. So... So you are dancing for feminism. I am. I am. You're literally cool. dancing for feminism.
5: Because, yeah, that's the thing is, because you're flipping around in a little tiny skirt, and I don't know, is that a, is it still a,
0: a feminist the, thing to be
1: I getting your like
0: the apotheosis of the guilty feminist?
5: I mean, you I literally, literally cha- cha- I mean, I'm in mean, a mini. I mean, I know what that words mean, Deborah, but someone in the room might not <laughs> might not know what that word means. That apotheosis. one. Apotheosis. Yeah, but just in case there's anyone
0: in the room, you might just want to explain what that what that means. It's the isn't it the, ape, the apex, it's the, the ultimate, the ultimate... It's like, in, isn't it like an um, apothe, you know, apothecary? they make... It's not an apothecary.
3: They you're make not, perfume.
0: You're not a guilty feminist chemist. That's not, not an archaic chemist. No, it's like the apotheosis. You know, it's like the tip, it's like... You're the good. The best. Oh, great, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, cha cha <laughs> in a miniscope for a feminist charity that yes. is such a feminist charity. You are Baby from Dirty Dancing because that's why she learnt to dance because she was helping another woman who couldn't get a termination even though she I needed have... one. That's why Baby learnt to dance, the ultimate feminist act. And my other question now is, is Jared a little bit strict like Johnny in Dirty Dancing?
5: Is he strict?
0: A little bit strict. Is Yeah, he a little he's bit... super
5: strict. He's so mean. He's really... He's really
0: <laughs> He's
5: stri- yeah, I told him we don't. He doesn't have time to be patient with me. But That's but he, like he's Johnny. also quite kind. When I get it right, he'll give me a little bit of little bits of
0: validation.
5: Yeah, tiny. Just bits. like Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> but we're not doing a, a lift yet. You're not doing a lift yet? Well uh, see I've been quite lucky so far. we haven't got to the sexy bit that's what I'm really scared about that's uh, the big fear for me. Is it
0: quite intense with someone just like right there looking in your eyes because I feel like if my personal trainer wanted to train me from here yeah
5: like right up in my face. And also while you're touching hips it's it's really weird.
0: I know it's bad I just laugh I
5: just laugh in his
0: face. I laugh and laugh. Like that bit in Dirty Dancing where he's trying to run his hand down her and she gets giggling. Nah. Nah. It like
5: that? Nah, it's so funny. But weirdly, when I first met him, I was like, I can't be anywhere near you. Like it's so because it's just a strange, beautiful man. And then like, now, now, I'm gonna hold you and and show you that you have hips. I'm like, no. <laughs> but then after a while, it's sort of flipped and gone the other way. I've I now cling on to him so tightly, because, like because he knows what to do and I don't know uh, what to do. So to the point where he's refers to it as my Raptor Claws. <laughs> so. And wine fingers. He says, I have wine fingers. And I'm like, fair. Um, so we'll see. But we haven't had to do any, like... So everyone was... The cha-cha was like, that's sexy. I'm like, no, it was fun and cute. So I'm worried about when we have to do pa- passion. Ugh, oh,
0: my God. Pash? Passion. You know, like, oh. they make us do, like... A... I thought, you, if he's telling you you have to pash him, that's not in a dance. <laughs> that's, that's what we would call in Britain the Strictly Curse. Do you know... Yeah. We have something called the Strictly Curse. Do you know what this is? So it's called Strictly Come Dancing in the UK because there was a very old-fashioned show called Come Dancing where people sort of shuffled around doing a waltz. When Strictly Ballroom came The problem is people started to come dancing. (laughs) Surely, I just
5: thought of that, but surely that joke's been made.
0: Um, It's, just to be clear, it's called Strictly Come Dancing, (laughs) C-O-M-E. Unpleasant, an unpleasant alternative spelling. No. Um, so, if you are here, a lot of people come to this show in multi-generations. People come with their mum and their nan. Is anyone here with their mum and their nan? Great. I apologise unreservedly. But the Yeah, we call it Strictly Come Dancing because when the Australian film Strictly Ballroom came out, uh, then they revived the show and made it sexier and funner and, you know, more of what it is. And they just put strictly in front of come dancing, like strictly ballroom, strictly come dancing. So it's just word salad. It doesn't mean anything. And the strictly curse uh, is when some married person or person in a long-term relationship goes on strictly, dances with the Jared. First of all, they don't get on like it's a romantic comedy. But then, oh, they're, you know, exactly what you're talking about. The hips don't lie. (laughs) And... Uh, then, next thing you know, they've left their partner and are uh, living in Brighton on the beachfront uh, with their wow. dance partner, doing the horizontal hustle. Do you
5: know what? <laughs> Honestly, I mean, there could be a thing, because I get it, but luckily for me, he's blonde. <laughs> Not my type. Never has been, never will be. I was like, phew, blonde. Also, he's safe, because I said to him, I said, Jared, don't fall in love with me. <laughs> And he hasn't, which was very nice of him.
0: <laughs> he might have. You don't know. No. <laughs> You're pretty sure. You're pretty, <gasps> I'm pretty sure. sure. Uh, so just uh, unpack for us a bit how it is, like, what were your fears in going into Dancing with the Stars in terms of being a woman in the media? Because I see you very much as an empowered female creator. You're either, in the time I've known you, doing your own show completely... And when you do a solo show as a woman, when you just go out and do like a Melbourne Comedy Festival Hour or whatever, you write it, every yeah. moment of it is yours. In the moment, if something happens, if someone heckles you or something like that, it's all yours. Everything is yours and everything is you. So you are the creator and you are the narrator. So it's a very powerful position. And then Celia makes her own show, which we've talked about on this show before, yep. Rose Haven... And again, it's created with Luke, and you know, you're not suddenly going to find yourself on set doing a really sexist scene thinking, why am I here? Because you've written it. Absolutely. And then the shows you act in, again, you can approve the scripture at a point in your that's, career. That's right. So Dancing with Stars isn't like that. No. So as I say,
5: I wanted to do it because I think it was funny. The main big issues that have come up for me is, number one, control. Absolutely. Us- up until this point, I am absolutely in control of everything I say. It's one of the things I love about stand-up, you know, you... You win on your own, you die on your own. If there's no... Because as a woman, you know, you often get the, did you write that yourself? That's why I love stand-up, is there's nowhere to hide. No one can say that, you know, it wasn't you doing it. And I love that, right? Whereas with Dancing with the Stars, because it's reality, they film you for hours and hours and weeks, and I don't have a say in which bits they use and how they're going to portray me. So Mm. I'm scared about that. So far, so good. And I can't... It is me. Whatever they use, it is me. Because I'm so exhausted from trying to learn how to dance. I don't have time to be thinking about what I'm doing so it is just me and real and I like being there for that reason as well I like being like just someone that you know trying to just giving this a crack (laughs) you know I'm not trying to present an image I'm genuinely just there to see what happens so there's that I wasn't as scared about being bad at dancing because I'm like I'm not supposed to be good at this I'm not a professional dancer if I'm bad it's funny I'll use it to make jokes and the other big thing that I am still nervous about because it's just started is the public opinion. I've, up until this point, played in a very safe space, for want of a better word, you know, on the ABC in my comedy rooms, not the general public, whereas this is the first show that I've done that will be watched by a, an audience that don't know me as a comedian and I am scared of the, what people will say you, about me or blah, blah. You're on
0: Instagram a lot now. I mean, I'm loving that you are. Please don't stop doing it. Are you scared about that? You know just when people are just horrible about women on the television? Yes. With this show, I don't get trolled. People who don't want to listen to it don't listen to it. It's not inflicted on anybody. So I don't wake up every morning to a stream of you, a nasty feminist who nobody loves. Um, And that's the kind of thing they say. Um, But if I go on television, the advice to men on television, a man going on a panel show is... Um, have a great time, have a great time on Mock the Week, have such a good time really enjoy it, this is the advice to women, have a really good time, really enjoy it don't go on Twitter for 48 hours (laughs) because no matter how well you do no matter what you do what you're wearing, what you look like what you say, no matter you will get a stream of abuse because you are a woman, so I gave my phone away to somebody else and said uh, could you check my Twitter can you mute anything insulting? And if anyone said anything nice, can you just write back a nice little comment like thanks or a, you know, heart, smiley face? But see, sometimes people don't watch it till the repeat. You know, like they watch it later in the week and on demand. And you get it later. Yeah. yeah, so if they've watched it on demand, they insult you on demand.
5: I always find it so strange on Twitter when they say something mean about you, but they at you, so they're drawing your attention to it. So it's mm. like going, hey, come over here. You're fucked. <laughs> Do you know what I you mean? Know, like yes. they... People can be as horrific as they want about you. If they don't tag you, if you go searching for it, I think it's kind of your own, you know, if you go looking for it. But when they know that you're
0: going to see it, mm. it's just I that agree. like... You've, people are allowed to have opinions. And yeah. if you put yourself on the television and they didn't like it, they're allowed to sit in the living room saying to their friends, I don't like her, I didn't think she was good. But when they at you, that it is an attack and it's designed to change you. That's what they're yeah. looking to change you. So the best thing is not to be changed, not to be affected and just mute. Um, Obviously, that's sometimes challenging. I did see you the other day being very funny on Instagram where you'd screenshot... Oh, yeah, about Married at First Sight. So, you know Married at First Sight,
5: the worst, the absolute worst reality show ever. Someone tweeted me... Basically, there's a woman on Married at First Sight that looks like me, and someone tweeted going, this woman reminds me of Celia Pacuola, unfunny, and keeps making crude jokes. I'm like, how the fuck am I getting trolled for a show I'm not even on?
0: (laughs) It was incredible. That I is... I was like, oh, what? Anyway. And someone sent it to you. That's the other thing.
2: When someone, yeah, it, someone
5: sent
0: it to you, you weren't tagged in this, but I think you'd like to see yeah. it. Yeah. And I know I've been
5: very lucky up until now because, you know, I'm not really political. I know a lot of women who are just... I just have so much respect. I don't know how... Have like Clementine Ford and there's, you know, mm. women in politics and all that stuff. How much on a daily basis and still... And, you know, Van Badham and getting up and having to continue doing your thing with that going at the same time. Um, so I'm I'm prepared, if anything, I'm over-prepared for it happening. I'm just prepared for the worst. I'm expecting a stream of vile bullshit, but I'll be like, well, that's fine, but I'm just real good at dancing now, so don't give a shit.
0: (laughs) That's that's great. I think that's that's, really great. Yeah. It's a really good thing to be able to understand where that must be coming from, because especially if somebody tags you or names you in a way that somebody else is clearly going to send it on, I just don't think... When I've been feeling happiest in my life and most self-fulfilled and most dynamic, I have never once gone out of my way to write hate mail to somebody else. I mean, I haven't done it in my darkest I hour say. either. Well, if I'm feeling a bit down, oh, just love it. I just hey, gotta... Celia,
5: you know how I said
0: you had nice legs? I lied. <laughs> the times when I felt jealous of other people or somehow bitter enough even to just say to somebody else, oh, you know, something unpleasant about someone else. has been the times that I've not been feeling great about myself. And so I think that is almost invariably the case, Mm. that that person must be having a bad time in some way or another. And sometimes, admittedly, it's a man who's having a bad time because the world no longer totally and entirely celebrates him and people like him. And not always, not always, but often, that man is a white, straight, cis man who is not disabled. Uh, it's not entirely true, but it's, it's, it's verging on truth. <laughs> <laughs> hmm? <laughs> they should enjoy their limbs while they've still got them. That's a <laughs> good <laughs> advice for life. Um, it's, it's great advice. Yeah. Hello, Guilty Feminists. I just wanted to let you know that we are headlining the Women of the World Festival on the 7th of March in London. Susan McComber is co-hosting. We've got an incredible music act and a very exciting guest. We're not allowed to tell you who it is yet. Plus Bridget Christie doing stand-up. It's going to be a real gala ep. And you can get tickets at southbankcentre.co.uk. Also, Global Pillage Adversity-based comedy panel show is back. You can come and be in the hive mind of the audience and shout out answers if you want, or you can just buzz at the right time and back the right horse. It's a really, really fun afternoon, 4pm on the 21st of March, the 4th and 5th of April. It's always a weekend after lunch but before your big party. And comedians we've got this season include Desiree Birch, Athena Cablenu, Kima Bob, Alison Spittle, Olga Koch, and Johnny Cochran, who you'll remember from the Fatherhood episode. Check out who's on what date at globalpillage.net. And after the show, I'll be right there if you'd like to get a selfie or get your book signed. Somewhere a little bit bigger is Wembley Arena, and I will be playing it ridiculously. Hello, Wembley, on the 23rd of April as part of the Comic Relief Spectacular. Other comedians on the bill that night include Sin V, Catherine Ryan, and Susie Ruffle. It is going to be spectacular as the name suggests, and all the proceeds go to Comic Relief. If you could come and support me while I play Wembley Arena, that'd be ace. Thank you very much. Please buy tickets. And our UK tour kicks off on the 1st of May at the Hammersmith Apollo in London. We're going all over the UK. Those that came last year know it was immense. We will have various comedians in various locations, musicians. It's a really, really big spectacular night. It won't be recorded. It is a live show only. So get your tickets now at guiltyfeminist.com. And my film, Say My Name, is now available to buy or rent on UK iTunes and YouTube. Check out guiltyfeminist.com for links. I'd love you to watch it and send me a tweet and let me know what you thought. And finally, our merch store is open. And it has T-shirts, notebooks, aprons, all sorts of things with great slogans on. They make great presents and great presents for yourself. And proceeds go into our pot for good things. Buy them there, as well as my book, The Guilty Feminist*. And now, back to the podcast. We have two guests today. Our first guest... Is a fresh and daring filmmaker, born and raised in Sydney's western suburb of Lakemba. Fatima's films take on the themes of identity, racism, war, sexuality, religion, and spirituality. Graduating from the Victorian College of the Arts and Australian Film, Television, and Radio School, they were selected for Screen Australia's Developing the Developers 2017 program and have just written and directed a short film commissioned by SBS and Film Victoria titled Amar. Fatima wants to tell challenging, entertaining, and thought-provoking stories reflective of true Australian culture featuring Muslim protagonists. Our second guest is a Walkley Award-winning journalist, TV presenter, and internet commentator. She is the creator, writer, and presenter of the online opinion segment, The Frant, which has been viewed more than 20 million times. She is best known for hosting The Feed on SBS Bystand, Medicine or Myth on SBS, the project on Network 10, and the podcast Sexism in the City and the Few Who Do. She's an ambassador for Plan International Australia, where she advocates for women and girls, and her strong reporting on women's issues earned her a 2018 Walkley nomination for women's leadership in the media. Please welcome to the stage the incredible Fatima Mawas and the wonderful Jan (laughs) Fran! Fran, yeah. you are a very famous journalist in this country. You work for... Yeah. Yeah. I didn't
2: know that, but yeah, apparently. Yeah.
0: Uh, and you work for SBS. No, and, I
2: don't work for SBS anymore. I used to work for Oh, you CBS. used to work for yeah, SBS. Yeah, for a long time.
0: Um, so I'll edit that out then.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. or you can leave them. You,
0: but you're someone who has worked for SBS for a long time. I feel like you're associated with SBS in people's minds. Yes. yes. Yeah. And could you just
2: explain for our global listeners what SBS is? It's an acronym for possibly the worst media organisation name in the whole world. It stands for Special Broadcasting Service. Um, And it's special because it was sort of designed to broadcast to communities in Australia that don't speak English. And it still does that. It has a massive kind of radio following. It broadcasts in 68 different languages. I think it's one of the only broadcasters in the world that actually does that. And it was sort of set up in the 1980s to cater to communities that didn't speak English. And so I think it's kind of grown a little bit from that. But what they sort of aim to do is to um, foster talent within Australia that is not necessarily white because Australian media is overwhelmingly white. Australian journalism is overwhelmingly white. And if you're not necessarily white, you will be white which kind of means, like, your hair will be straightened, your body will be slimlined, you'll wear sort of a monochrome pantsuit or whatever it is. And I think SBS sort of... Um, privileges is probably the wrong word to use, but I think that they really desire people who can maybe speak second languages or come from particular communities and have contacts within those communities. And the aim basically is to get more journalists of colour into the mainstream Australian journalism pool. So actually, the best thing about SBS, and this isn't my quote, it kind of comes from um, the people who work there and the people who started the cadetship, is that the best thing about SBS is that you leave it. uh, And you leave it and you go on to you know, work in mainstream Australian journalism and 10, 20, 30 years down the track, suddenly we have a much more colourful workforce. And it's Mm. come because people have decided deliberately to target those people.
0: Which is really amazing. I wish we had that in Britain. We really don't. Uh, But that's great. And why were you working for SBS?
2: Well, I I was working for SBS because I failed the ABC cadetship exam. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because I confused Kerry O'Brien with Tony Jones. <laughs> because, okay, that's um, old uh, That's a, a, that's a joke
0: that no one's going to understand outside Australia. Yeah. What's? Is that not a joke? Sorry, your life. I'm yeah. so sorry. I've no. <laughs> so sorry. I'm so sorry. What?
2: <laughs> Who are those people? Um, so they're the same person, um, effectively. <laughs> this is sick. But some... um, Tony Jones hosted. Late Line and Kerry O'Brien hosted the Seven Thirty Report, and the question on the cadetship exam at the ABC was who hosted the Seven Thirty Report, and I wrote Tony Jones, and it wasn't, and I didn't get that ABC cadetship. I got the SBS cadetship. Yay! Yay! But you know what? Actually, the main one of the main reasons why I applied for SBS and ABC was because I was sort of convinced at university that commercial television was just not. Made for people like me. You know, I had curly hair, I'm brown, I've got tan skin, I'm of Lebanese background. At the time, there was a lot going on in Sydney. I know you guys are from Melbourne, but there was a lot going on in Sydney with Lebanese and Lebanese gangs, and it was just a very kind of tense atmosphere. And I thought, you know, commercial television just doesn't want people like me. And so I didn't apply. I didn't apply, and it was very matter of fact. It was very like, oh, well, that's just not for me, so I will apply for the things that are for me. And I think what's really great now, sort of 10 years down the track, is we're actually questioning, well, hang on, why is that not for me? Rather than just Mm. accepting that, okay, this path is not mine. It's now more of a question of, well, why isn't it mine? You know, why has Australian media deemed that the person that should represent you know, journalists or presenters should be white and should have their hair coiffed in a certain way and should be relatively thin. It's a very kind of homogenized look. And we don't really think about it too much because it's, it's quite, we almost think like it's innate. Like, well, that's what TV presenters look like. Why? Like, when was the last time you saw a South Asian TV presenter or a TV presenter in a hijab or a TV presenter who is a bigger woman or, you know, um, a TV presenter who is of African appearance? You just, you don't see them, because I think Australian commercial television, and the ABC for that matter as well, let's not lie. You know, I think that they've just deemed that journalists and TV presenters sort of need to look a certain way. Mm. And fuck that. Well,
0: especially when it's the news, if you're reporting on things, you do need, and this is not just a cosmetic representation concern, This is a concern of viewpoint, who gets interviewed, how are they interviewed, what questions are they asked, what background does the journalist bring to the story? Because the people shaping the narrative of the news, if they are from a homogenized group, and more than that, if they are from the dominant culture, will report the news in a certain sort of way, and the stories then we're told as a population about who's doing what and who the good guys are and who the bad guys are, are completely affected.
2: Yeah, I think it's, I'm, I'm sort of um, quite attuned to it, kind of having grown up um, Lebanese in the late 90s, early 2000s, when all that sort of shit was going down. You know, you've kind of got to remember, like, we had awful kind of gang rapes, which I don't know if... if I'm sure that you guys would have heard about them in 2000 where it was perpetrated by a group of Lebanese guys and it was the highest sentence ever given for rape in this country, which was 50 years. Um, You know, we had the Cronulla riots in 2005. So there was sort of like a lot of intense focus on the community. And I just wonder if there was somebody from a Lebanese background in the newsroom at the time contributing to the types of stories that were covered or the types of headlines that were reported I just wonder whether things might have just been a little bit different, whether that kind of prevailing narrative of criminality would have been challenged at least once. You know, if there was, like, a tiny rumbling somewhere, then you have the start of something that can then be built upon. But um, I think newsrooms were and continue to be overwhelmingly white. And so that's why I think a difference in perspective is Mm. really important.
0: And you're behind the camera, um, Fatima. You are a filmmaker, and you know, I suppose more than anybody, about how story changes our perspective on human beings that we don't often see represented. Um, what brought you to filmmaking, and what are you trying to do in being the kind of filmmaker that you are? So,
4: it's been a really interesting journey. So, I think... Um, I'm from Sydney, initially, from Lake Ambas, you know, represent... <laughs> Um, and initially I was not even considering film or any arts. You know, I grew up in the Western suburbs from a low socioeconomic background and it was, like, very much about class mobility. Become a doctor, become a lawyer, film and TV, what is this? And I Yeah, I, I think was the
2: Lebanese hierarchy goes lawyer, doctor, married. Yeah. <laughs> That's what makes your parents the most proud. Yeah, totally, okay.
4: right? But really, mar- if you got married before you became a lawyer and doctor, then you did it right. Yeah, but then yeah. they sometimes have that leniency. All right, go do your... Inna. Yeah. That's a long time ago, and it's actually across lots of, you know, cultures and whatever, not just Lebanese people. Um, so, yeah, so I was working at an organisation in Western Sydney called the Muslim Women's Association and they were being they still are kind of run by a lot of older muslim women and they provide services like a crisis accommodation and courses and things like that and they had done almost like a an archive they had an archive of every time a muslim woman was mentioned in the media and they clipped out all of these newspapers and they collected them over a period of i don't know how long and they wanted to do a vox pops go out and film random people on the street and ask them what do you think when I say Muslim women? What do you think when I say you know, hijab? What do you think when I say Islam, etc., etc.? And, yeah, they were like, you're the young one. Go and learn about this camera and computer stuff and come back and do this thing that we want you to do. And I was like, okay, and I loved it. And, you know, I went to a local youth centre and it was in this dodgy room and it was like, you know, all the gear was really shit, but it was like amazing I loved it and at the time I was doing a business degree and I put it on hold and I kind of because I'm a Muslim part of you know the thing that is ingrained in you as a Muslim growing up especially in the West is make sure you convince all the white people that we're not terrorists right like make sure you tell them that you're not oppressed like use your voice make sure you and it's just smashed into you over and over again that like make sure you try to always be as outspoken or as whatever as you can And so a lot of the stories that I started to tell were targeting white audiences. And I kind of started off kind of like, oh yeah, it'd be cool to make something that me and my cousins could watch and laugh at, because it was like, TV was, you know, not for us. And then, yeah, I shifted into this, okay, I've got to do more stories to white people. And then I just gave up on white people and said... (laughs) I said, the internet came and these people are still like this, so fuck that, man, like... (laughs) They're not, they're not going to change, bruh, like, they you know, it's something else, man. So, and I said, you know what, actually, I want to start, I realized, like, my community is what I should be putting all my energy into. And so now I'm so deliberate about creating stories that, you know, engage conversations in the living room of my community. And so they're very much, like, not centering white people or white audiences. If they watch it, cool they probably won't and if they do they won't get it but like i don't really care at this stage like i'm just about trying to figure out how to create stories that talk to minorities within the muslim community intersectionality is like you know if i was to get a tattoo i'm not gonna mum relax but if i was you know it might be that like um yeah the end
0: Can you tell us a little bit about what your latest short film is about? It's streaming on SBS, and our audience would really like to watch it. Could you just tell us the pitch? No. No. (laughs) (laughs)
4: Um, Okay, so it's called Amor, which is the name of the lead character, and it follows Amor, a 28-year-old Muslim woman with Down syndrome who decides to throw a wedding without a groom as a way to create new traditions and keep old traditions and get her family and her community to acknowledge and celebrate her in sort of this, like, into womanhood almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so it's streaming on SBS On Demand.
0: And that's interesting because you are looking at somebody who's marginalised in an already marginalised community. How did you go about telling that story? Because you're now the narrator and the author of that story because you're the filmmaker. So you wrote and directed it? Yeah, I wrote and directed it. How did you approach that?
4: So I'm also very, like, conscious of the types of stories that you tell and who has the right to tell the story. And I think this is what is the problem with, you know, Australia. It's that it refuses to acknowledge its actual story, what has happened on these lands and... It's the erasure of these stories and who is allowed to tell stories. and So I was very conscious going into this in that, one, I'm an able-bodied person and I don't have anybody in my immediate or extended family that has Down syndrome.
0: So what made you come up with the idea? So
4: I saw, I saw a video on Facebook. So my Facebook feed is probably very different to yours. Um, and, yeah, it was a video of a family in Palestine in the West Bank who threw a wedding for their daughter, who was 28 years old and had Down syndrome, and, you know, my trajectory or career or whatever in this industry has been like, yeah, film school, I'm going to make films, I'm going to be fucking amazing. Oh, sorry, can you swear? Yeah, we
0: broadcast on Her Majesty's internet, and there is a lot of swearing on there, so she's fine with it. She's fine with it. Sweet.
4: And eventually I got to a point where, oh, my God, this, like, is never going to happen, and I got really, like, angry. You know? I got angry. And I saw this video, and I felt something, and I realised, shit, man, I've not felt this way in a long time. And I was like, these are the stories. Like, I'm so sick of seeing, you know, the Muslim woman that plays sports, or the Muslim... I'm like, man, like, can we move on? Like, the poetry slam, like, far out. Like, that's so boring, man. Like, that's great. But, like, can we actually talk about the real stuff? And I saw this and I was like, this is the stories that we need to be lifting. And because, you know, I thought about it as an able-bodied person that, yeah, you know, when the mosques aren't accessible, when the Sheikh gives his sermon, you know, very rarely is there someone that is doing any type of Auslan or if there's any type of, like, consideration around accessibility. You know, the community's changing quite a lot around that. But then I thought, okay... The, you know, we need to be creating a community of people because we are, you know, as Muslims, even as settlers on this land, we're oppressed, right? We're both the oppressor and the oppressed here. And so I was like, okay, so how, what, what do we do? And I thought, okay, the best thing I can do is try and strengthen my community so that we hold each other better while we're under this savage white supremacist, colonialist, capitalist, racist, and ableist society. <laughs>
0: Wow, I'm, I've never been more inspired to follow a filmmaker's work uh, than I have meeting you, Fatima. I'm so excited to see what you're going to do because we don't have enough female filmmakers. And you, Jan, you've really championed feminist stories and made, oh, like, award-winning feminist videos in your journalism. You've sort of changed the narrative, I think. How have you done that? Because Fatima doing that is finding a powerful story within her community that she wants to tell and then finding the funding and the way of telling it. How do you go about shaping the story? How do you get permission, I suppose? Or do you not wait for permission, you just take it?
2: No, you just apologise later. (laughs) Sometimes I'm just like, man, I can't believe SBS let me say half the shit I say on that television network. But, all right. Um, What really motivates me is just a drive to, for lack of a better word, just, like, straighten out some bullshit.
3: You know, that's
2: really the primary motivator. I'm actually not an activist in my journalism at all. It's more just that I see something that's just a bit off and I just kind of want to tell you about it just so you know that this is a bit off and then you do whatever you want to do with that information. That's whatever. When I knew that you were
5: coming on as a guest, that's what I think of you first up is, like, straight talk, like, which is the great thing about stand-up as well. It's you talking directly to the people, like, let's just be real, cut the bullshit, here's stuff you need to know yeah. in an entertaining and informative way.
2: Yeah, and it's always like, I, I'm, you know, there's that kind of really great adage that journalism is something that someone somewhere doesn't want printed, everything else is advertising. So for me, yeah, and cool. it, it, it's so true. Like, for me, it's just like someone is sort of benefiting from some bullshit that's going down and you should probably know about it because there's this kind of weird power imbalance. You're losing out, they're winning, do what you want with that information. So that's kind of what drives me. But also because I see so much fucking bullshit out there about, you know, the wage gap doesn't exist. Like if you're ever on YouTube, I need to take a fucking sedative before I go on YouTube, (laughs) Mm. honestly. Like I'm either watching a tiny ferret in a bib eat raspberries in front of the microphone or... (laughs) Bunnies and cups, writing that one down. (laughs) Got it? Or I'm watching, like, (laughs) deep political commentary. They're my two. Um, And there's so much bullshit that gets espoused on YouTube that I just... I feel like there needs to be some other voice there so that people don't think that this is reality right so that people can actually be able to have a counter to that Mm. and that's a very for me it's like man i don't want to wade into that shit because i don't want the trolls and i don't want i don't want to have to deal with that but i think it's really dangerous to just leave something that is patently untrue out there, and you suddenly have these young... And it's guys in particular who start parroting things that they've heard on YouTube, Mm. you know? Oh, the wage gap's just about choice. Women choose to stay at home. And you're like, yes, but why? You know, it's much more sort of complicated than Mm. that. So I think what I I try and do is at least draw a slightly bigger context to the things that you think are, are just the way it is when, in fact, they're kind of not. Um, And I wish we could have, you know, really more nuanced conversations about sort of racism in this country. Like, I don't know if you know this, but everyone is racist. That is true. Like one time I was in a cab, I was in a cab and uh, I had, the driver was of um, Indian background and um, he had an altercation with another driver who was of Asian background and the Indian cab driver told the Asian guy to go back to China and the Asian guy told the Indian guy to go back to India. (laughs) And I thought, man, everyone's just racist. Like, my mother, I went home the other day um, to see my mum. She was so annoyed. I said, Mum, what's wrong? She said, Oh, Lebanese people bought the house next door. (laughs) My mum's Lebanese. (laughs) You know? So there's, 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 yeah. That's an extreme example, though. That's, that's a, that's right up there. That's, why does she not want to live next door to Lebanese people? She no, doesn't... it's actually not an extreme example. It's a very, very common example. Like, I have never heard vitriol directed at Lebanese Muslims more than I've heard come from Lebanese Christians. Never. And I know this because I grew up in that community. So, actually, there's quite a lot of nuance to...
4: Even to the point where Peter Dudden went into parliament and specifically said... Lebanese Muslims should never have been allowed into this country. This is the guy that came, you know, and his ancestors came here and slaughtered. Like, in a matter of years, 90% of the populations of the traditional owners of the first people, the longest living people that exist today with the most knowledge, they completely annihilated them. And this guy specifically comes through and says, Lebanese Muslim, not Lebanese people, not Lebanese Christian, Lebanese Muslim. Sorry, yeah. I want to
6: rant. No, no, I can Thanks
4: see why you're quite it. angry about that. So I can it's, see it's why actually that like would really you nuanced,
2: You know, when you hear sort of stories of like, you know, Indian people that don't like Pakistani people um, and, you yeah. know, uh, Serbians that don't like Croatians. Yeah. It's a much more nuanced thing than you're white and you hate minorities. Or but the
4: difference, is. right, is that who holds power, mm. right? The taxi guys don't hold power. But in this country, white people hold the power and they're racist, right? And so then that creates these systemic sort of, you know, and I I think, you know, the media is just another institution of the government, just like the cops are, just like all of these things that need to actually completely come down... Be completely like, we need a massive revolution in this country. We need to like shut down every major city, every road needs to close, and everything needs to be done again with Indigenous people leading the way. And then you're not going to have issues around, you know, women being, you know, abused. You're not going to have, like, there's going to be healing of lands, of people, of... And and you're going to start to see changes. But the minute that we say, oh, we want to change something within the system, like, oh, you know, I'm going to go in here, I'm going to try and, you know, I don't believe in that at all. And I think it's because these institutions, the media, the, you know, every department is set up to just make sure that this whole system supports white power, ultimately.
2: I think the truth is, I don't think we're ever going to become a fair and a just society and an equal society until we can really look at ourselves and really look at our point of origin Mm -hmm. and really understand that actually what this country is built on is colonization and is effectively genocide and that's a very do you
0: think that's possible Jan without the f- complete dismantling of society that Fatima is suggesting? Or do you think... Not that she's the first person to suggest it, by the way. Not like the dismantling of capitalism is Fatima's idea she just had now. I understand... I <laughs> understand it's... Uh,
4: Who else thinks that in this room? Come on, let me see. Oh, what a shame, man. Come on, guys. Get with the programme. Quick, quick.
0: I fully suspect that we will leave this theatre tonight and start to dismantle capitalism... <laughs> I I, I messaged her and I said, you're going to regret having me on this show. No, I don't. (laughs) she didn't believe me. I don't don't regret it at all. I'm loving it. We need radical voices in feminism and uh, we need pragmatic voices in feminism because generally what radical people are saying happens in about 20 years. I'm a pragmatic feminist. I want to know what can I get done by Wednesday week? Because if I don't think I can bring down capitalism by Wednesday week, which I don't (laughs) think that I can do that. But so I'm interested in what how can I reshape my patch of the world? 1. How can I make my patch of the world bigger? 2. And the internet has made my patch of the world bigger because uh, the artists have taken control of the means of production. So we can have podcasting. So we, for example, talked a lot about refugees who were living in Calais, and more and more and more guilty feminist listeners started to go out to Calais to volunteer with refugees. In fact, I met someone who said she was from Iowa who was volunteering in Calais when I just did the American tour. And that really changed things in terms of who was willing to go and get their hands dirty. Two hen nights, two hen nights went to Calais to volunteer. Um, One, yeah, really exciting. One said she, was, she told her friends they were going to go to Vegas.
4: <laughs> love her, love then, her, genius.
0: Well, well, she thought she was going to go to Vegas. Then she heard refugees on the podcast and us talking about Calais and you know, and she just went, "This is, we're not going to go to Vegas. She said to her hens, and she just went, I've changed my mind. I don't want to go and spend all this money and be head in the stick and blah, 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 blah. That's all fine and great, but what I really want to do is I mean, this is the only time I'm ever going to have all my friends going to do what I say, what I want, and this is what I want to do. And she said half of her friends were like, you are an amazing human being. And the other half were like, I fucking signed on for Vegas. <laughs> what the fuck is this shit? I'm in a refugee camp for you? Know? They were like, I don't think so. And she was like, I am the bride. This is what I want. <laughs> and of course, you know, no one can argue with a bride. That's the law. And so they all went out. And she said, of course, the half that had thought, why would I want to be in a refugee camp and were not didn't see themselves as political people and thought that sounded a bit... Grim and a bit scary, or a bit, you know, not fun, were completely converted and were came back just completely activated, saying they were going to go out again. They were, of course, telling all their friends about it and what they'd seen and how they understood power abuse differently and how they wanted to change the world. And so, I think there is a really now is that solving the humanitarian crisis that we have on our hands now with seventy million people displaced? No. Do we need a revolution for that? Yes. Uh, would it be really helpful if we dismantled capitalism? Of course. But, so what I feel is, what we need is people now. Like, if, if, you know, if you're in Lesbos, you know, which I was lucky enough to be a couple of months ago with Josie, who runs Choose Love, Help Refugees. Well, that kid that's standing there is four years old needs soup now. They don't need soup by the time I can dismantle capitalism. They need soup now. They need someone looking after them. They need someone saying, you're special, you're great, you're wonderful. They need that now. They need somebody there you know, running the school. They need that now. So I think we need radical feminists, we need pragmatic feminists, but we need to work together. We need to not be pointing, going, oh, that's too radical. I want Fatima on this show saying more radical things than I would say, and I also want to say, how can I... I can't do what you're asking right now, but I can do more than I would if I hadn't heard that message.
4: Yeah. But, like, you know, if you want to... If you're, if you're in this room right now, and you want to dismantle capitalism and actually create a change, there's a activist group called the Warriors for Aboriginal Resistance. And what they've started... Hey, represent! And what they've started is a pay-the-rent campaign. You can go on their Facebook now, and they've got six organisations. They're grassroots organisations, and you can actually donate money to these organisations. And these organisations do things like fund the burials of Aboriginal people that pass away because they die at crazy rates compared to the rest of us because everything is set up to completely continue to destroy them. You know, you can do that. Put your money into black organisations. Stop watching the news and watch NITV. You know, that's how you can do it. It's not actually impossible, but you're made to think that it's impossible. You're disempowered. You're made to think, I can't actually do it, but actually you can Mm. in these little things. If all of us kind of did that, centred black media actually listened to what black people had to say And looked around and was, and why are there potentially no black people in my circles? Or, Mm. you know, what's the conversations you're having about Invasion Day, you know? And it's interesting that I just want to bring up the conversation that you were saying about being trolled and things like that. One of the members of Warriors for Aboriginal Resistance was trolled, not by average Joes, but by the media. The Age, the Sunday Herald, all of the, you know, all of it, just plastering photos of them and completely sort of destroying or trying to destroy everything in this person's life because they were an Aboriginal person that was standing up for their rights. And it's these systems, you know, do you work in a cafe? Get your cafe to stop buying the Herald Sun. Stop, you know, just having that as a thing. Like, and this, this stuff that I'm saying to you, I'm saying to you because I've actually learned from Aboriginal people that have been till this day shouting, this shit is wrong, but nobody wants to listen because, you know, it makes people feel uncomfortable.
2: You know what? It's so funny that you say that because there's a woman called Aileen Morton Robinson. I don't know if any of you... Yeah. That woman is incredible. She's the first distinguished Aboriginal professor, but she wrote a book 20 years ago called Talking Up to the White Woman, which was effectively about, you know, white feminism and where Aboriginal women stood in relation to white feminism. Last year was the first time that she was invited to speak about that book at a mainstream feminist conference. She wrote it 20 years ago, and it has taken us 20 years to give her a mainstream feminist platform in Australia. And so I think the best place to start is just by shutting the fuck up and listening really really and i've i've come to that like i've come to that realization actually quite late i'm ashamed to admit but i think that that is that i still
0: haven't got that message i'm i've got a podcast my podcast is not called shut the fuck up deborah i'm sorry it's called deborah goes on and on and on jesus christ i have good guests though We did say we'd let the audience ask a couple of questions. Does anyone have a burning? No, question? no. We,
2: I've
5: made all of this has made Dancing with the Stars seem very,
0: very
2: inappropriate <laughs> right
5: now. <laughs> this is. I'm the, sorry. Listen, I'm listen, no, so no. sorry. You know, you know, I am the problem. I'm sorry. No, I'm I, was to, I was just trying to. just trying to do a dance. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so
0: sorry. No, but this has been. This is, bit, this is a Can I amazed. just say, Celia? Yeah. No, you are you are completely wrong. What? Because, no you are, because loads of people are going to listen to this episode as the Dancing with the Stars <laughs> special, who would never, ever, ever, ever listen to a radical voice like Fatima. It was amazing for exactly. that, like I'm so yeah. glad that, this is, don't this this is, no because, do you know who doesn't listen to Radical Hour with Radical Feminists? People who need to. So what we're doing here, and listen, if nothing else, this podcast can do a fucking gear change. It's <laughs> our specialty. We can start there like, oh, I love dancing. Tell me more about the tanning booth. And then boom, they're listening on, driving in the car drinking, which is what you do. And, and then they're like, oh, I've never thought about indigenous people that way. Oh, 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 oh. And you lured them in. <laughs> you are the cha-cha bait.
2: Yeah, I'm the Pied Piper of Cha A hundred percent. But just c- the, the c- next video, I'm going to make is going to be titled Celia Picola Dancing with the Stars, but it's going to be about overthrowing capitalism. <laughs> 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 and I Celia I we do a dance
6: remember, about it. You huh? are
0: you are dancing uh, for a really important charity, and I know that yeah. you said to me, "Can I just say this yeah. about Celia?" Because um, she wouldn't say it about herself. But I remember when we were in a bar... I think we were in Naked for Satan after... If you're listening internationally, that's exactly what it sounds like. <laughs> and we, we were in Naked for Satan and Christine Zwicker, who's a brilliant feminist journalist, was there. And we were all chatting and Celia said, look, I just feel like I'm doing all this sort of you know, entertainment stuff and I just want to get my hands dirty. And I want to do something. and I want to change things. And Christina put Celia onto this charity... Uh, which is about survivors of domestic violence and people currently experiencing domestic violence and she said, well, you can lend your celebrity to it. And Celia said, I'm very happy to, but what I really want to do is go, I'll stuff envelopes. I'll go down. I don't know what year she thought it was that people were stuffing envelopes, but... <laughs> 1947, stuffing um, envelopes. But, but she, but she yeah. was saying, I want to go down and help. I want to go down and do something real. I don't just want to go out and go, oh, and by the way, I throw a charity over my shoulder like I'm you know, doing something, but I'm not really doing something. And I was really impressed by it. And then Celia today said, I really want to talk about the charity I'm doing it for. And when she told me, she said, oh, hold on a minute. I found about this charity through Good of yeah, I was like, exactly. yeah, I can't believe... I said, are you still working with those people? She said, yeah, I am. And I'm really advocating for them. And I was like, this is amazing. This is really amazing. So this is where, genuinely, I feel like... W- as long as we're working in concert, as long as we're working in harmony, to elevate voices, we need all of this. You coming off the ABC and going on to Dancing with the Stars and then talking about that charity is important yeah. because then it comes back and someone starts to watch your special, well, then they w- listen to this episode. It's all a chain yeah, of breadcrumbs. I, I feel you do what you
5: can and you can do the most when it's something that's personal to you. So for me, it's mental health stuff and women stuff. So the mental health stuff, I talk about it in stand-up and then the women's stuff, I just, as I said, I want to get involved. I don't want to be... an ambassador i do want to do stuff but like i want to help but it's not my story so i feel like Mm -hmm. i don't know how to i have the same
4: thing because here i am a settler right and so you know it's the conversations in your family you know it's those circles Mm. planting seeds in the you know i'm always having conversations with my folks and my brothers and whatnot about this stuff and that's where you know the change happens yeah
5: does anyone before we... Sorry, Sydney,
2: so did you want something? Yeah, just
5: one more thing. Just what you were saying about people who are needing help now, which is the other thing that I think is amazing about Safe Steps. And this whole thing we're talking about is it's such a bigger problem. You fix one thing and it's not the thing. So Safe Steps are like the emergency, get these women out, they need help right now. But that is outside of that. There's the toxic masculinity, there's the, the children growing up, there's the problem that causes it and then the recovery afterwards. So that's just the one step that is the help now, but that's not to say that there's not this massive, bigger problem of what's caused it and how to recover from that. Wonderful, but
0: yeah. Does anyone, because we promise questions, do we, anyone have a burn, <laughs> one burning question? Does anyone have anything burning? Yes. It can be silly and done. All shouts serious. out. So you mentioned there's a that you're used to almost ignoring the
6: body. Ooh. Okay.
0: So I wish excellent. we'd had a microphone on you there because that was perfect. But I have to repeat it. So the person in the audience said, uh, you, CeeDee, you said that as a performer you were hiding your body, now you're using your body as a dancer. What's one thing that's helped you see your body with less attitude and more gratitude? I know. Amazing.
5: Um, well, i tell you what's a humbling experience, having to stand in the nude for five minutes with tan razor on. You're not allowed to get in the shower, you just put it on and you have to stand there and wait. So that's that's quite full on and I'm okay with it whereas in the past usually if I'd get a glimpse of my naked body at all you know when you've got to take the rubbish out but before you can tie the bag you have to push it down and you get a gust of hot bin air in your face and mouth (laughs) that used to be it so that's cool the other thing that i (laughs) would it's just just how I feel, guys. Um, the other one is I have a big thing about getting lifted. I don't want to get picked up. I've never wanted to be picked up. I've always been a solid... Like I've, I've just. I, he's like, we're going to do a lift. I'm like, I don't. I'm not okay with this. I do not want to be lifted up because on some level you go, I'm scared that you're not going to be able to pick me. That you're going to go. That you can't because I'm. You're going to feel how heavy I'm, or whatever. And also. He goes, do you have a thing with control? I'm like, yeah, it's a loss of control because you're off the ground. Someone else is doing this to you. But then he taught me, because it's a lift where I put my hands on his shoulders and he picks me up and he goes, you are so much easier to lift when you're strong. You push down on me and it's like nothing. And that made it really empowering to me that it's me doing it, pushing up, rather than being lifted up by this guy. And it feels fucking cool. And now I can't, the problem is, <laughs> every time we do it, I go, whee! <laughs> so that's, that's cool. And that will be in this dance, Sunday night, please vote for me.
0: Does anyone have anything to plug? Anything they'd like us to... Celia, is there any... are you in anything at the moment? <laughs> SMS Celia to 90 10 10, or if you go on the 10th play app, you can vote for free once a day. Okay, so please vote for Celia and keep her in because she's the most feminist one.
6: What and you also say steps
0: 50 grand. And also the best dancer, yeah. by far. Look, Jan just Fran.
2: follow my Instagram because I'm trying to get some free shit, and the more followers I have, the more free shit I can get. Hashtag down with capitalism. <laughs> Hashtag guilty feminist. Um. No, listen to my podcast, The Pineapple Project, the, yes, the first episode of which was actually out yesterday of season four. So that is what I am plugging, The Pineapple Project. Go download it wherever you get podcasts. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> Fatima. Get onto
4: Facebook and look up Warriors for Aboriginal Resistance. Add them on Facebook and also start following NITV on facebook and also we should watch your film yeah and if you want watch my film on sbs on demand a-m-a-r come on
0: follow me at df dobs at deborah fw rate review and subscribe the podcast and give it five stars if you think it's worth it but i think you'll agree tonight it definitely has been final treat for you um, she's come all the way from the UK she is touring her own headline show in Melbourne after this she will be able to tell you about the details of that you will have heard her on the podcast if you're a regular listener because we have her whenever we can I love her doing the show because I tell her that when she plays people leave thinking they've had a better time than they've had <laughs> put your hands together and make incredible woohooing noises for Leicester legend smokescreen and smoke show Grace patrick
7: reason that I am dressed this way, Melbourne, um, and it is because I, uh, of course, um, uh, I've got a snooker match after the gig. Um, uh, no, uh, um, uh, it's because I wrote a song called "Black Tie," um, and uh, oh, hey, thanks. Uh, And it's a a song uh, that I wrote. I I wrote it as a letter to my teenage self. I wanted to go back in time and tell my teenage self that it's all going to be okay, because I was quite an unhappy teenager. Um, And I wrote this song about it. And uh, and basically, it's got a line in it that I would love you to sing along with. Um, It's a rhyming couplet. This rhyming couplet is literally the greatest achievement of my life. Um, It goes, it goes, the images that fucked you were a patriarchal structure. (laughs) Oh, thanks. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah, I had a biscuit when I wrote that, Melbourne. Um, so what I, what I like to do is I like to sing and the images that fucked you and you're going to reply it a patriarchal structure, a bit like this. And the images that fucked you Amazing, cool. I should just say um, that um, after the show, I'm going to be in the foyer out there trying to flog some CDs. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm well up for dismantling capitalism, but if you could buy the CD first, that would be really helpful.
0: <laughs> um uh, <laughs> I'm right there with well, you as soon money, as we've yeah, put, finished selling the an CDs. an example of putting your money where you hold power is, you know, do something good with it, and where you hold money, give it to Grace.
6: Yeah. <laughs>
7: I, th- I mean, I think you, what Deb's saying is you're a misogynist if you don't buy it, I think, to be honest. Um, uh, so also, um, I'm, after I finish the Guilty Feminist tour, I'm doing a tour of my own of Australia. Um, I'm playing in Melbourne on the 4th of March at the Old Bar, and nobody's coming! So um, uh, I was thinking you're going to be in Melbourne, and uh, maybe we could compare diaries or something. I don't know. Uh, that'd be great. Um, it goes nice. Like jungle out there The year 2018 I didn't think We'd still be sorting Babies into blue and pink And all our progress Yet I wonder what it means That the only girls' clothes that work For me turn out to be Boy for engines, well that's fine Cos I decline A narrow set of rules that just don't work Doors, you will figure out what's yours. And it's a bloody nightmare. We try to fight the spread of bigotry and fear. That's uniting Piers Morgan into Main and all our progress. Yeah, I wonder who it's for. When I dare to, are uh, the trans lives matter, yeah, and all I got was a triple, well, that's fine. Cos I decline your narrow set of rules, Stages just don't work. Yours. You will figure out what's yours. You will figure out what's yours. And that it's got nothing to do with fitting neatly in a box that was constructed to make it seem like people come in just two teams and anything that's in between ain't good enough. In her year 11 hell, darling, everything's gonna be alright. No, you won't grow out of it. You will find the clothes that fit and the images that fuck you. Perfection of the structure, and you never will surrender to that narrow view of gender. And there's folks you've yet to meet. They've been waiting just as long to hear someone sing this song Better days are on their way when it won't matter what they say On the labels and on the doors, you will figure out what's yours
3: Listening to The Guilty
0: Feminist with me, Deborah Crofts' wife, guest co-host, the McCloud around, very special guests, Jan Fran, and the team of Live music from Grace Petrie, The Guilty Feminist theme tune was by Mark Hodge and produced by Nick Sheldon. The producers and Tom Zelinski for the spontaneous shop, Jeff for for Australian Comedy Management. Thanks to everyone at the Thornbury Theatre as well as all of you for listening and for more information on this and other episodes of The Guilty Feminist 4.
5: Stricken after with the stars next.
0: Jeff, Jeff, that was very loud. Did you get it? You got me. Okay, great, thank you. Just checking. It's Jeff, everybody. Jeff, uh, Jeff, Jeff is uh, Jeff is 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 sort of a combination of Tom Selinsky and Chris Sharp. While we we're in Australia, it only takes one Australian man to do the job of two British men. <laughs>
1: Hello, Guilty Feminista. This is Sarah Barron, stand-up comic. If my name rings a bell, I have appeared on this wonderful podcast before. Namely,
0: one time I told you about a friend of mine who had a weird older boyfriend who told me about the color of her vagina. It was crazy. Anyway, I am here to tell you about the fact that I will be at London Soho Theatre from the 9th to the 21st of March, doing by Edinburgh 2019 show Enemies
1: Closer and... Every night at 9 30 p.m. I really hope that if you like this podcast, you might just like my show. So, hope to see you there. Goodbye.
2: Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
1: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig.